West Bowles, good morning. Happy Easter. I am Nathan Harrison. I'm the youth director here at the church. And once in a while, they actually let me get up with a microphone. So uh, if you can't tell from the video, we are, we've been talking about the idea of a vantage point lately. And the reason we're talking about that is we believe there is an event in history. The event that we have commemorated this week and we celebrate this morning, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that event has the power to absolutely transform us. And that event has the power to help us see things differently. It helps us change some of the views that we walk around with about ourselves, about other people, and even about our Heavenly Father. But this morning, here's what I want for you. I want you to get a different vantage point of you. And the reason I want you to get a different vantage point of you is because it's so much more than the one we're tempted to carry around. It's so much more than how we see ourselves. It's so much more than how other people see us. And it's a view that is easily missed and desperately needed. And that vantage point is your heavenly father's view of you. And so we're going to see what that is this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And before we get there, I actually want to give you a vantage point of what you would have seen if you were looking at me this week. Because on Monday, within about three hours of each other, my wife and I came down with the stomach flu. And I'm not going to, it's not going to be graphic, don't worry. Uh, but I realized that there are three things that happen when you come down with the stomach flu, okay? The first thing that happens when you come down with the stomach flu is that you become best friends with totally inanimate objects, <laughs> like trash cans and, and toilets and countertops. And you, I just found myself going, oh, countertop, just... It's you and me, all right? So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that crawling around the house replaces walking around the house because you just don't feel like you have the strength to move around anywhere. In fact, you know when you have the flu, you can tell something's coming, something's coming up, and so you make a beeline for the trash can. So Monday afternoon, I am crawling to this trash can because something's coming. And our three-year-old daughter, True, she saw this and didn't realize I was sick, and she thought this was a horsey ride. And so <laughs> she jumped on my back right as I got to the trash can, and I'm pretty sure she is never going to ask for a horsey ride ever <laughs> again. She got a front row seat to the contents of the trash can. So. And then a third thing happens when you get the flu. And the third thing that happens is whatever language you speak, your native language, it just goes right out the window. Uh, my, our six-year-old daughter, Lainey, she came up that evening. I'm laying in bed, can't do anything else. And she came up and she said, Dad, can we, can we like eat dinner? And I meant to say yes, but all I could say was, eh. And then she came up about 10 minutes later. She said, Dad, Lincoln, that's our six-month-old son, Lincoln needs his diaper changed. Can you change it? And what I meant to say was he is six months old. He needs to learn how to do this himself. <laughs> and all that came out was, ugh. And then the next morning, Lainey asked for a ride to school. And <clears throat> I meant to say, here are the keys. Figure it out. You're going to be fine. But all that came out was, ugh. And see, those three things happen. But maybe the worst thing that happens when you get the flu is that you just get so absorbed and involved in what you're just trying to make it through 
And then some really important stuff goes out the window, like feeding your family and changing diapers and getting them to school. And I looked at that and I realized that doesn't just happen when I have the flu. That happens like every day. I don't mean crawling around and talking weird and all that, but I realized that I get so absorbed and I get so involved in what I'm doing or what I'm trying to get through or what I need to take care of and who I am that something really, really important goes out the window. And that really, really important thing that goes out the window is how my heavenly father sees me. And I have a feeling that that happens for a lot of us. Maybe you've heard of the tyranny of the urgent. What that means is the urgent is so right there, so right in front of us, that we push aside all the important stuff in order to take care of what's, of what's right in front of our faces. And our view, it just, it shrinks and it narrows down to this right now, what I've got to get through. And that has a consequence because it is incredibly draining to try to keep up with everything that's urgent and it's right in front of our face and what I need to do and who I am and what I have to live up to. We all go through that. Well, I've got some kind of good news this morning. The kind of good news is a whole bunch of people have gone through this before we have. That's the kind of good news. There was this city called Corinth. And Corinth, if you want to imagine the city, just imagine Las Vegas combined with New York, combined with Los Angeles. It was a major port, so there's a lot of business going on there. But there's also a lot of Greek influence. And so the people within this city... They just go, 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 and their, their view just narrowed down to what they were going through all the time. And there was a church planted there. A guy named Paul planted a church there. And the great news for us this morning is that Paul looked at this church, and he noticed that their lives, well, they really didn't look too different from the culture in which they lived. And the great news for us is Paul wasn't okay just letting that slide. In fact, he wrote to them, and he said, hey, I, wanna, I just want to remind you of something. There's just something I need to remind you of. In fact, if you have your Bibles, chapter 15, verse 1, take a look at what it says. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you. Why does he say remind you? Because they'd forgotten something. I want to remind you of the gospel. That word gospel means good news. I want to remind you of something that happened. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. He looked at this church and he said, okay, there are all these issues, but there's one issue underneath all of this. See, they held this view that there was no resurrection of the dead. They're saying, look, once a, once a body dies, maybe the spirit lives on, but the body, no way. And because they had this view that there's no resurrection of the body, well, then they thought there's nothing after this. And if there's nothing after this, then this is all that matters. And I'm going to live for right now. And so their attitude was, let's just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. Now you got to give them credit because as you think about that, knowing what we know about the human body, it's kind of hard to imagine a body coming back to life that's been dead, isn't it? I mean, we've seen humans survive some incredible things, some really incredible things. There was a guy in Japan in 1945 
His name is Tsumoto Yamaguchi. And Mr. Yamaguchi, on August 6th, 1945, was in Hiroshima, Japan. Do you remember what happened on August 6th, 1945 in Hiroshima? An atomic bomb was dropped on that city. And Mr. Yamaguchi, he survived, but he remembered looking out the window and he heard this bomber and then he saw this bright light and then he got hit by this wave of heat and he had minor burns on his body. It temporarily blinded him, it damaged his hearing. But he, so he stayed overnight in the hospital there and then the next day they let him go home 190 miles away to a city called Nagasaki. And if you know history, three days later, August 9th, 1945, an atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, Japan. And Mr. Yamaguchi was in a building that just got blown over by the blast. And he was knocked unconscious, but he survived. In fact, he survived another 65 years until he passed away four years ago. Now, that's amazing what, what he survived. In fact, I look at that, I go, okay, somebody survives two atomic bombs, I'm thinking maybe they're not gonna die. But he's an exception, not the norm. I mean, I look at that and I go, two atomic bombs? I don't think I'm even gonna get through the bomb that my six-month-old just dropped in his diaper. <laughs> and isn't that how everyday life feels? You know, we have all this stuff we go through and we're in the midst of, and all we can see is that. And we live just trying to get through that. And if I can just do something, then I can get through this. But to imagine the body overcoming death, that is crazy. And Paul looks at that view and he looks at the Corinthians and he says, look, look, that's a view based on how what you're going through feels. Don't live according to that. Don't live as if this is all that matters and this is all you're trying to get through. If you're gonna base your life on a viewpoint, base it on the facts. And then he walks through these facts that happened of the gospel, the good news of what happened. Look what he says, verse three. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you is of first importance. First importance. That means if you wanna drive a car, what is of first importance? there's a car to drive. If you want to make chocolate chip cookies, what is of first importance? Chocolate chips. If you want to be a happily married man, what is of first importance? The ability to say, I was wrong. <laughs> it's my fault. That's how important this is. That's what Paul's saying here. Look what he says is so important. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Don't skip through that. We read that like we've read it a thousand times, don't we? But I want you to look at that as if you're hearing it for the very first time. See, God established a penalty for separation from him, for sin, and that penalty was death. And because we are separate from him, because he's holy and we're not, we owe the penalty of death. And yet he sent his son, he sent Jesus, and he said, Jesus, my son, 
he's going to take the penalty. Even though he lived a sinless, blameless, holy life, he's going to take that penalty for everyone. And so they spit on him. They whipped him. They mocked him. They beat him. They broke his body, nailed him to a cross. That should be me up there. That should be all of us up there. And Jesus died in our place. And Paul says, there was a, there's a crowd there. People saw this. This is a historical fact. Then he goes on. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried. Now, why is this important? I mean, I read that and I think, well, that's tied to Christ dying. But here's why that's important. Jesus was buried by two secret followers of, her, of his. And those two secret followers, let me ask you something. Because they had followed him, if they had any hope whatsoever of him being alive, do you think, do you think they would have buried him? No. About four and a half months ago, we bought our six-year-old, Lainey, we bought her these two cloudfish. Okay, cloudfish sound big and puffy and stuff like that. They're actually, they're like this big. They're the kind of fish that you feed much bigger fish, like minnows and goldfish and stuff like that. Okay, they were like 17 cents each. And we found out that um, about two weeks ago, one of them died. And that was about three months, three weeks, six days, 23 and a half hours longer than we expected this thing to live because it was 17 cents. Well, we didn't find out it died actually until a few days ago because Lainey didn't want to bury this thing. She didn't want to flush the fish because she kept holding on to this hope that this fish was still alive. And we're like, Lainey, why don't we flush this? And she said, no, because I was watching it and it was like, <laughs> and it was just water currents, you know, moving this body around. But she didn't want to flush it. So what does that say when we see these two followers of Jesus bury him? Well, it's a confirmation of the fact that Jesus died. The confirmation of the death of Jesus was his burial. And then Paul goes on. He says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now that's incredible news. I mean, if my sins and the penalty I was supposed to pay resulted in the death of Jesus, and I hear that he overcame that, that's amazing news. And that's something that I wanna know it's true. I wanna know that's a fact because we've all known what it's like to know that something's too good to be true. So I'd wanna know that's true. Well, how do we know it's true? What Paul says next, he says in that he appeared. So if the burial confirms the death, then the appearances are proof of the resurrection. And it'd be one thing if Paul was just saying, well, I heard this, but he lists a whole bunch of witnesses. Look at this. He says he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He's saying, look, if you want proof, he was saying to the Corinthians, if you want proof, you can go and you can talk to some people who are there. They saw it. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now, it'd be one thing 
if it was just Paul saying this. You know, you've heard that phrase that if four people are standing on different corners of an intersection and they see the same thing, the same accident, that you're gonna have how many different accounts? Four of them. So if four people were to match up about one event, that would be incredible. Well, if you add all this up, you've got Peter, the 12, you've got plus 500, plus James, plus the apostles, plus Paul. There are at least 515 people mentioned here, all saying the exact same thing happened. You wanna know why Paul's saying this? Because it's a fact. The fact is that Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel is fact. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, if you're gonna base your life on a viewpoint of something, don't base it on how it feels going through all the stuff you're going through right now. Base it on the fact that a body rose from the dead and it was Jesus. That's what you base your life on. Now, Paul could have stopped right here and that's some pretty powerful evidence. But Paul goes on because he said, you know what, all these facts, they're saying something. All of them point to something. And he's going to use this list of witnesses in his own life to point that out. Look at this list for a second. Think about some of the people on there, okay? You've got Peter, and you've got the 12. You've got James, and you've got Paul. Do you know what the last thing Peter did to Jesus before he died was? He betrayed him. You remember what the last thing the 12 disciples as a group did to Jesus before he died? They scattered. They abandoned him. Remember what James' viewpoint of Jesus was throughout his life? Well, he doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. And Paul, what did Paul do? He persecuted him. He persecuted Jesus. In fact, he says this in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You ever feel like that? You ever look at that list? Betrayal, abandon, doubt, persecution, That's not just them, that's us. We do that to Jesus. We do that to each other. And Paul looks at all that and he says, I'm the least. I don't deserve it. But here's the amazing thing. Why are these people on this list? Because Jesus, after they'd done all these things to him, he appeared to them. He showed up in their lives. And so he looks at Peter Peter went away and said he wept bitterly. Remember, he thought, I'm just going to quit this whole thing. He went back to fishing, and Jesus showed up in his life. You know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw this, I forgive you, Peter, and I'm going to show up in your life. That's grace. And then Jesus, in various, various appearances, showed up to the 12 disciples. He said, okay, I know you scattered. I know you abandoned 
But you know what I see? I forgive you. I'm going to show up in your life. That's grace. And then he showed up to James. He said, I know you doubted me, but I forgive you for that. I'm going to show up in your life. That's grace. And then in Paul's life, I know you persecuted me, but here's what I see. I forgive you, and I'm going to show up in your life. Do so you want to know what the facts say and what Paul's getting at here? The facts say something about how our heavenly father views us. That when he looks at us, he doesn't see you the way you think he sees you. You know what he sees when he sees you? He doesn't see what you do. He sees what Jesus did. That's what your heavenly father sees when he looks at you and your life. And here's what's incredible. What Jesus did then, and this is what Paul is going to say next, what Jesus did then, that does something now in our lives. And it should cause us to look at ourselves differently. And it should cause us to focus on different things and live differently. Here's what Paul says about that grace of God, that forgiveness, and then Jesus showing up in our lives. Verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Wow. I am a huge fan of water parks. And um, I've heard about this and I hope to go here one day. And if you're from Texas, you might know this place. Um, there's a place called Schlitterbahn Water Park, okay? Say it slowly, say it carefully, you're in church, all right? But at Schlitterbahn, they have, they have installed this wonderful water slide where normally, you know, you go to Waterworld and you have to do all the work getting up the hill to get to the top of the slide and enjoy the ride down. But at Schlitterbahn, you, at the bottom, you sit in a tube and these jets of water, they just push you all the way up the hill, and then you enjoy the ride down. That's what grace does. You think that's cool? The Panama Canal, this is that part that you fell asleep in class about? Okay, the Panama Canal. It connects the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. And what ships do to get through the, the Panama Canal is they go through a series of locks and channels. And what happens is these giant ships, they have to shut off all of their engines. They cannot do anything under their own power. And so they enter a lock, and this water just guides them through. It fills up with water, and then the doors open to the next one, and the ship moves in. And then the doors close behind it, and it fills up with water. And what it does is it lifts this ship from sea level over this continental divide and takes it to the other ocean. That's what grace does in our lives. Because Jesus forgave my sins and your sins, and because he shows up in our lives, God says, that's how I see you. That's exactly what I see when I look at you. In fourth grade, um, I, I will never forget, we had to do these presentations on Colorado history. And so I had worked for a month and a half on this presentation um, for Colorado history. And I got up 
the day I was supposed to present and it had to be a 10 minute presentation. And so I look at the back of the class and the teacher's got the, the stopwatch and she hits the go button. And so I get ready to start presenting and suddenly just nothing. I can't remember a thing. And you know, fourth grade, your whole class is staring at you. That's a little intimidating. That's still intimidating, a bunch of fourth graders staring at you. And I just remember freezing, and I finally just said, Miss Johnson, I, I can't. I can't do my presentation today. She said, that's fine. See me after class. So you can give it a shot tomorrow. But that had scarred me. I said, there's no way. I will hand in all the research I've done. I'm not doing this presentation. And I carried that around. Fifth grade, sixth grade, I actually got out of any presentations we had to do by writing a paper. Not going to do it. So you can imagine my surprise when it's about eight years ago, nine years ago, um, God softened my heart to work with some junior hires. And part of working with junior hires is you have to get up in front of them. And you have to talk. And God said, you're going to get up in front of them and you're going to talk about me. And then some time went on and he said, you're going to get up in front of some high schoolers. You're going to talk about me. You imagine? It was terrifying. And now he's saying, Nathan, you're going to get up. You're going to talk about me. And I look at that and I go, why me? I mean, I'm, I'm the least. I don't, I don't deserve it. But God doesn't see what you did, what you do. He sees what Jesus did. That's grace. And so in our lives, any any bad, any shortcomings that we have? You know what God sees? He sees Jesus overcoming that. And any good we do, any good we do whatsoever, well, that's grace. And I know it's grace because when I talk face-to-face with you, a lot of you turn your heads and look at me like a dog that doesn't understand things. You're like, what? So that has to be grace. Why else would I get up? I'm the least. That's how I feel. But God doesn't see what you do. He sees what Jesus did. And so this morning, normally we try to send everybody out of here with something to do in the week ahead. I don't want you to do something. I don't want you to focus on what I'm going through and what I need to do and what can I do and compare myself to them and live up to their expectations and and this emphasis on me and what I do. I don't want you to do something. I want you to see something. I want you to see your heavenly father's vantage point of you. Because he sees his son, Jesus, when he looks at you. If you've been in church for years and years, what is it that you're trying to do on your strength? Maybe, Maybe he's trying to show up in your life in a different way. If this, maybe you've heard this message thousands of times before. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died. He was buried. He rose for me. But maybe a light went on this morning. Maybe something changed. That's not 
That's not any kind of preaching. That's not me. You know what that is? That's God's grace. That's Jesus wanting to show up in your life. And if that's what you want in your life, all you got to do is accept his view of you. He can't force you to accept his view. But you can accept his view. And so if you want that relationship, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me right now in which you express that you're accepting his view of you. Let's all bow our heads. Father, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And I believe he's my Savior. I believe he died for my sins. And so if he did that, I want to transfer all all of what I do, all my ability, all my faith, all my trust in my works over to him and what he did. I believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. I believe he came to redeem the world and I believe he came for my redemption. Forgive me of my sins. Receive me into your family, Father, because of what Jesus did. Father, for these prayers, I, I thank you, not just here, but all over the world this morning as we, as we reflect and we celebrate Jesus' victory over death. I pray that in the week ahead, you'd give us a vantage point of ourselves that isn't what we see, isn't what others see, isn't what I'm supposed to do. Just give us the vantage point that you have of us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we want to meet you out in the foyer. We'd love to talk to you. And for everybody, happy Easter. Thank you for coming. And make sure you join us next week for the conclusion of Vantage Point.